Well, let's make it go once again on the Rural Radio Network, something we call Midday. It's chock full of information for you, and you won't want to go away from your radio in the next couple of hours, because we have all kinds of stories for you, breaking and otherwise. And uh, I'm Dirk Christensen. With me first off here today is Jesse Harding and uh, our correspondents have been out there talking with the people who are dealing with these cuts announced for the university. That's right. I believe that announcement was yesterday that they are going to be having some cuts to the University of Nebraska system as a whole in respect to some of those budget cuts that is going on for the state budget as well. So we'll get a little bit about with that, which Bella, um, Chancellor Ronnie Green was out in Scott's Bluff this week, yesterday I think as well, so it was kind of nice that it all came together like it did. So she talks to Chancellor Green a little bit on how that is going to affect the agriculture system for the university. For the 1219, Joe Gangwish is going to be with Dean Hefta of Water Street Solutions discussing the markets and their activities at that time for the newsmaker as we have congressmen and women on break right now they're kind of back listening to their constituents what's going on so taking place yesterday in columbus susan littlefield uh, is with congressman portenberry they talk about health care they talk about nafta and also internet coverage for rural broadband as he's doing listening sessions and then for the 117 i am with Nebraska Department of Agriculture Director Greg Iba. He's been participating in Congressman Smith's Farm Bill listening sessions. So we'll talk about why Greg is involved in that and how that helps him in the state of Nebraska to hear what producers are saying too, even though he's not in D.C. quite on a regular basis like some of the congressmen and women are. Mm-hmm. All right, thanks very much. We'll uh, see if we can send some common sense back to Washington. With them, maybe. Yeah. We have uh, Jason Jorgensen with us here, and it looks like they haven't uh, cut the pads budget for the Huskers yet. No, they haven't, <laughs> so and they still have money for pads and for helmets. That's good. They're <laughs> and, probably uh, need that. Yes, and uh, they were working out into full pads for the first time in fall camp this morning. We will give you the lowdown on that. Also, speaking of football... You start to get to that point in the summertime yeah. when you need some football. No. Even if it's preseason football. No. What do you mean, no? It's still baseball season, people. Mm-hmm. Well, Jesse can have her opinion, but the Cowboys <laughs> and Cardinals kick off the NFL preseason tonight in Canton in the Pro Football Hall of Fame game. You know, I think she's got a point, though. I mean, the NFL in August and, and last It's year, August 3rd. It's yeah. not even the later part of and August. And last year, the World Series went into November, right? That's right, and basketball and hockey go into June. We need some strong <laughs> legislation here. But I'm okay with college football starting now. Oh, okay, that doesn't okay. bother me. It's All right. Very good. Game tonight at Canton. Actually, they hope to have a game. It will feature new turf after last year's game had to be canceled because the field was unplayable. So oh, even boy. if they play tonight, that, that's a win. <laughs> well, not playable because of your... Oh, boy. All right. Well, let's go to the business world here. Bob Brogan standing by. Although stocks are drifting a little bit lower in midday trading on Wall Street, the Dow Jones remains above 22,000 points. And, uh, of course, it uh, crossed that threshold a day earlier. Jobless claims are on the uh, decline, according to a report today, and services firms registered their slowest growth in nearly a year. All of these stories and more coming up today on Midday. 
And for Holdridge Irrigation, Ag Weather Now with Paul Perkins. We have a little residual shower activity out there. Yeah, a little bit of it over southwest Nebraska right now, south to North Platte, around McCook and Cambridge, and also some of that activity into the northwest corner of Kansas towards St. Francis, Goodland, and Colby. That activity gradually sliding to the south east and so it may clip central portions of uh, nebraska and the southern areas mainly on into northwest and north central kansas we do have those chances for some rain today a cooler and less humid day for sure today as high pressure is settling in from the dakotas and clearing out our skies north winds may be a breezy today as those area of high pressure settles in and low pressure departs that difference in air pressure bringing in some gusty north winds with high pressure directly overhead for tonight our temperatures will cool into the upper 40s to the 50s as the winds start to become light for tonight a big cool down on the way for tonight maybe give a break to the ac tomorrow looks to be slightly warmer with some low humidity as high pressure starts to slide to the east and turns our winds to the south thunderstorm chances increase tomorrow night and saturday some more low pressure tracking towards the east temperatures in some rainy areas saturday may only reach the 60s if it gets to be a bit of a wet day that day a stray shower may still linger on into sunday as the skies begin to clear and temperatures remain just cooler than normal monday and tuesday mainly dry a little bit more warming in the forecast another promising chance for some rain starting to arrive by wednesday in our long-term forecast the chances very high especially early on that nebraska and kansas temperatures will be cooler than normal for tuesday through august 16th above normal rainfall in the forecast for nebraska and kansas tuesday through the 16th despite some recent rains not much changed in the regional drought monitor that considers the moisture data through this last tuesday abnormally dry in much of south central and southwest nebraska and the panhandle moderate drought is found in west central north central and northeast nebraska and we do have a pocket of some severe drought right around valentine and ainsworth and also the far northeast corner of nebraska in kansas abnormally dry right now in the central and northeast You'll find moderate drought from Smith Center in Mankato to around Osborne and Beloit on over to Manhattan. Weather factors driving the market trade include rain crossing the western Midwest and a cool but dry pattern for the northern crop areas. Recent rains somewhat benefited the drought-affected crops in the western Corn Belt. Before that rain, South Dakota led the nation in corn and soybeans rated 35 to 39 percent, very poor to poor. Temperatures and drought areas of the northern plains won't be as hot the next seven days, but rainfall will continue to be near to below normal. Pockets of dryness exist in the mid-south and southern mid-Atlantic. That's where topsoil moisture right now rated 45 to 49 percent, very short to short, in Mississippi and over in Virginia. A series of cold fronts will reinforce some cooler than normal weather throughout the nation's midsection. Additional rains of 1 to 4 inches expected in much of the central and eastern U.S. Right now, some developing low pressure. More monsoon showers will continue in parts of the Great Basin and the Four Corners. The crop conditions expected to improve in the western Midwest with the beneficial rain and more moderate temperatures. The southern plains expecting that moderate to heavy rain this next week that will benefit their developing crops. Mostly favorable rain has been seen internationally in Ukraine and Russia, but more would help the southeast and north central Ukraine and southwest Russia. Northeast China saw some beneficial rain for their filling corn and soybeans, but more would benefit some key soybean areas. Beneficial rain fell in wheat areas of Australia, but more is needed since their rain totals remain well below normal since the first part of May.
Ag weather brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation. Paul, I've got to hand it to you. You don't get many opportunities to shiver during August, no. but here we are. <laughs> it looks like we could by, by tomorrow morning. Yeah, A lot of areas in south-central Nebraska, even yeah, as far south as right along the interstate, could wake up to morning lows tomorrow in the upper 40s. And then, of course, <laughs> even a, maybe a nudge cooler than that farther north you go. Well, as I said earlier this morning, you don't want to have to go, you know, do that <laughs> that water ski uh, outing in your parka this weekend. No, exactly. Yeah, it'll be a bit cool at the lake this week for sure. When you need weather anytime, krvn.com. agriculture information on the rural radio network i'm jesse harding while the university of lincoln is making budget cuts chancellor ronnie green says agriculture will always be a priority for them jabella guzman has more the University of Nebraska-Lincoln is working to manage a reoccurring $49 million shortfall. University of Nebraska-Lincoln Chancellor Ronnie Green visited the Scottsbluff County Fair yesterday and explains how the university's ag programs and extensions are very important to the university's mission. We are known internationally as a university for key signature programs that people around the world look to us as a leader in. And ag and food and natural resource utilization is, is a big part of that for the University of Nebraska. It's what we're known for. So those programs that are largely located on East Campus uh, in Lincoln, but throughout the state at all our research and extension centers, our extension programs throughout the state, like here in Scotts Bluff at the Panhandle Research and Extension Center, yeah, we're going to continue to invest in those because of the importance they have to Nebraskans and the importance they have in the state. So, yes, there's a budget downturn, but we're not going to slow up in what we're, we're doing in those key areas. Green says some of the targeted cuts will be through sharing more services across campuses, trimming operational costs, and in some cases positions where jobs will be cut through attrition. With the Rural Radio Network, I'm Chabella Guzman. Having a written animal disease outbreak response plan to show leaders could provide livestock and poultry producers needed resources in the event of such an emergency. Ray Massey of the University of Missouri Extension explains the three economic steps livestock and poultry producers should consider when writing a prevention and response plan related to an animal disease outbreak. We really think of about three steps from the economics of biosecurity. First is you want to assess the hazard and you need to prioritize the different hazards and make sure that you're meeting the most important one. And then you'll come up with that management strategy of how you would deal with it if it hit. Then you'd need to look at the cost, what would happen if it hit. The plan frequently will involve prevention, just how can I keep it from occurring? How can I exclude animals that might have the disease? How can I keep my employees from bringing in the disease? If it comes into one location, how can I keep it from moving to another location? So there needs to be this written plan of how to keep it from happening, and then if it does happen, how do I control it or deal with it? One of the things that I encourage people to do is to bring those costs to their banker, particularly costs that would occur if they had an outbreak. The problem with an outbreak, you're going to have decreased revenues because you can't sell animals, and you're going to have increased costs because you're trying to clean up. If you've communicated with your banker already, there's much more likely that you'll be able to get through this. He suggests that you go over your written plan with your lender before any outbreak would happen as well. JBS South America has hired a former head of food safety at the USDA as the company works to shore up its reputation and business following probes into corruption and food safety. 
Alfred Amens, who retired this week nearly after 40 years of USDA, will become the global head of food safety for JBS, a newly created position overseeing safety practices and quality assurance for the world's largest meat packer by sales, the company said. The move comes after the series of government investigations that left the company in based in Palo, Brazil, facing record legal penalties, damages its business, and tarnishes its reputation. That's been a look at agriculture information on the Roll Radio Network. I'm Jesse Harding. We're going to check in on these markets with Dean Hefta with Water Street Solutions. Get his thoughts on our trading activity this week. Uh, Lots of news to talk about, uh, Dean. Let's start with uh, what we've seen from some estimates. FC Stone, also Informa, coming out with some numbers. What's your take on this market? Yeah, you know, this week we've seen some private estimates coming out. FC Stone, uh, RJO, uh, Informa. Uh, and the thing to consider on those numbers is what is it that they are estimating? FC Stone comes out with their estimate for the final crop yield, whereas Informa is trying to guess the guess of uh, what the USDA is going to be guessing here uh, next week. So I would say the market was, I wasn't, but the market was probably a little bit surprised that FC Stone's number came out quite a bit lower than what people have been saying the trade has been trading. Uh, as well as RJO. So you're, you're getting some numbers in that 162, 163 area and uh, kind of acknowledging there's plenty of challenge areas across the Midwest, whether it's too dry, too wet, too late, uh, whatever that is. And um, But the problem is that really hasn't translated into much interest in the funds of holding onto the longs or stepping into new longs. They've been in a liquidation mode. They've just been kind of stale with their lawns not being rewarded for it, and we just haven't had this hot, dry weather to pump up pump up the market. Yeah, the latest on the drought monitor shows that Iowa is still dry, but it seems like every time we bring that into the news, here comes a wave of some rain, so uh, traders are constantly watching the weather, aren't they? Yeah, um, you know, we had a shot of rain come through Iowa, but I would say in general, a lot of a lot of areas other than the northeastern part of Iowa have been generally disappointed between what they've seen on the radar and what they've seen on the ground. So talking to a client just near uh, Des Moines this morning, you know, they got a tenth of rain on the radar. It looked like a lot more than that. So still not a relief, lot of relief, you know, but in many areas of Iowa, you got some great soils that provide a lot of cushion to some of that stress as well, as does this cooler weather. That's right. And that's been tough on the soybean market this week, as you know. And uh, let's talk about some chart action. Have we filled some gaps in the soybeans? Yeah, for a while we've been watching uh, some, some gaps down here uh, in November. It was a gap to this 958 area. We f- have filled that today on a continuation chart. We just, in the past few minutes, filled the gap that was hanging out there on the daily continuation. So we've, we've filled the gap that, you know, you always have to go fill the gaps. We've done that. Um, I expect that even with the cooler weather and the rains, you still have China that's underbought on a lot of its needs. However, there's been some saber rattling from China saying maybe we're not going to buy as many of your beans if you start uh, slapping some uh, some sanctions on us or trade issues. We don't need a trade war. Um, so I, I could see beans finding some stability in here in this 950 area until we get a better handle on what is it that we're going to be able to have for an August. Final 30 seconds. How does that all play out here as we uh, roll into this August 10th report? 
Yeah, I think you're getting some squaring by positions as you move into that, kind of a risk-off mentality because you don't have the weather right now giving you a reason to have the risk on. But I'd say in general, um, you know, the market is going to have to begin absorbing maybe some smaller carryouts than what they have been trading. So I expect that we should have some support as we move into the next uh, couple of weeks anyway. Dean Hefta with Water Street Solutions. They can help you with your risk management. You can find them online, of course. Go to waterstreet.org. On the Roll Radio Network, I'm Joe Gangwish. You're listening to Midday on the Rural Radio Network. Let's check sports now with Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Derek. Well, the Dallas Cowboys and Arizona Cardinals kick off the NFL preseason tonight in the Pro Football Hall of Fame game. The annual game in Canton, Ohio, will feature new turf after last year's game had to be canceled, if you remember, because the field was unplayable. Hall of Fame President David Baker promises the new turf will be as good as any that the Cowboys and Cardinals will play on all season long. Now, there won't be many stars or starters on the field. Both coaches, Jason Garrett for Dallas and Bruce Arians of Arizona, see the game as an extra chance to watch their rookies and fringe guys compete. The Broncos quarterback competition is turning into a contest of which one makes the fewest mistakes. Neither Trevor Simeon nor Paxton Lynch have distinguished themselves so far through the first week of training camp. Head coach Vance Joseph says he hopes that position eventually comes around. The inconsistency. Um, I think every player is going through some of that in training camp. Obviously, the quarterback's the big discussion. But every player, if you grade the film, has had good plays and bad plays. But but the quarterback's bad plays, you know, everyone sees him and they... It's an interception. That's the position. But uh, I'm okay with that because we're learning, we're teaching, and we're competing. Joseph has also said he'd like to see more of a playmaker in that quarterback position more than a guy who's just a field general. And speaking of football, the Huskers worked out this morning for a fourth time this week. It was the first time they took part in practice in full pads. Sonny Gray makes his debut for the Yankees tonight in Cleveland against Corey Kluber and the AL Central leading Indians. The Yankees got the right-hander from Oakland shortly before Monday's trade deadline. He was 6-5 with a 3.43 ERA. Former heavyweight world champion Vladimir Klitschko announced his immediate retirement from boxing today. The decision ends an era when the Klitschko name alone could guarantee one of the biggest fights of the year. At their peak, Klitschko and his brother Vitaly held all the major heavyweight titles between them. Now Klitschko retires with a 64-5 record. He lost his titles to Tyson Fury in 2015 and failed to regain the WA and IBF belts in April when Anthony Joshua beat him with an 11th round technical knockout. An amateur boxing star in his youth, he turned pro in 1996 after he won the Olympic gold medal in Atlanta. And poor Pete Rose. The Phillies have canceled plans to honor him next week because of a woman's claim that she had an improper relationship with baseball's hit king when she was a minor. Rose's lawyer says the woman's claims were unverified. The Phillies were going to induct Rose into their wall of fame in an on-the-field ceremony on August 12th. Rose bobbleheads were going to be distributed on August 11th. Of course, that won't happen now. Probably find those bootlegged bobblehead dolls on eBay. That's a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. There is a 20% chance of showers today. Highs in the mid-70s. North winds at 10 to 15 tonight. Clear lows around 50. And then for Friday, mostly sunny in the morning, then becoming partly cloudy. Highs in the upper 70s. From the KRVN News Center, I'm Scott Foster. 
Nebraska 1st District Congressman Jeff Fortenberry heard from constituents this week about their concerns as he held town hall meetings in several communities, including Columbus. Fortenberry says NAFTA was among the concerns. Well, ag is uh, production ag, and the, the aggregate amount of commodities that we make as a country is really one of the last things we make in mass, and it's contributed to offsetting our really grotesque trade imbalances with other countries. Trade imbalances are economic dislocations. Over time, they should balance out, but they haven't for America. This is what has caused such difficulty in pursuing new types of trade agreements. It's also caused difficulty here at home because trade has been so beneficial to agriculture, yet at the same time, we're good Americans here, too. We want the best possible deal we can get for our country. Fortenberry called health care the chief concern of his constituents. At a town hall meeting in Fremont, Fortenberry said the nation's broken health care system that helps some and hurts others needs to be turned into something that lowers costs while improving health care outcomes and protects vulnerable persons. Fortenberry also held town halls in West Point and Norfolk. University of Nebraska President Hank Bounds on Wednesday announced a plan of action to deal with the $49 million budget shortfall due to reductions in the state funding and the university's rising cost. University of Nebraska Kearney Chancellor Doug Christensen says teams of experts arrived at strategies for dealing with the shortfall and those recommendations were part of the plan. They're primarily a, uh, uh, I think, a, a bringing together uh, centralization of uh, things like procurement, HR, uh, our facilities, energy management uh, practices. Many of the business parts of the, the university are now going to work together in a, in a centralized form as opposed to each campus having their own individual operations. The initial cuts announced by NU President Hank Bounds amounts to around $24 million. The university is aiming for $30 million in cuts over the next two years. Another $19 million will be made up by enrollment growth and a tuition increase of about 9%. Figures from the Kansas Department of Corrections show that state prisons saw an increase in staff vacancies at the end of July. Figures released Thursday showed 268 vacancies in positions for uniformed officers as of Tuesday. The department reported 236 vacancies on July 24th. The figures also showed that the El Dorado Correctional Facility saw its number of vacancies among uniformed officers jump from 84 as of Tuesday from 73 on July 24th. The prison has also been the site of several inmate disturbances in recent months. In severe storm season, remember the weather watch never sleeps. From the KRVN News Center, I'm Scott Foster. It was a wide gamut of discussion from health care to NAFTA during a town hall meeting taking place on Wednesday in Columbus. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. U.S. Congressman Jeff Fortenberry holds town hall meetings every chance he gets to be back in Nebraska, stating that not many of these town hall meetings are held anymore due to safety concerns. But he says Nebraska nice sets in. One of the discussions brought up was health care and how much it was costing for constituents. It was not only predominant here, it's been predominant in all of the town halls. But I will say, this was a great meeting. Good, robust discussion, civil, polite, differing ideas on the table, uh, a back-and-forth dialogue. You know, some members of Congress don't even do these anymore because it's become too dangerous for the public and themselves, and the conversation is just not fruitful. 
So I'm really grateful to the community of Columbus for creating a type of environment in which we can talk about hard, difficult, complex policies. Healthcare is hard. It's personal. It's about protecting yourself, protecting those you love. It's complex as well. That's why politically, in terms of public policy, it's very difficult to get right. And honestly, we have a very divided country over it. The goal has to remain the same, though. Better health care outcomes with lower cost while protecting vulnerable persons. And those are not mutually incompatible. In fact, they are compatible, and we have examples of it being done. Just got to lean back into the question in Congress when we get back. One constituent asked about Internet and how slow it is in rural America, and they were afraid of the brain drain, shall we say, of young people leaving rural America to head to the bigger cities. But the congressman said, surprisingly, it's not the Internet that is having these youth move away. It's a hard question because, by the way, if you look at uh, where our troops come from predominantly, there's a big backwards L across the country through the south and straight up through the Midwest. It's this idea of rural communities who have the heart and mind and really soul of America really step forward and sacrifice and yet we have a concentration of rural youth more and more into urban areas, which is fine. People ought to have the freedom to do that. But at the same time, we cannot lose the dynamism of our rural communities, which are so essential to the values of America. If you look at it in reverse a little bit, though, the prospects for technology are, of course, a, a pull because there's more opportunities in the major urban areas, uh, particularly in the technological fields for youth. But they could create the conditions of remote access to a broader market, a broader world that empowers people to actually stay on the farm or stay in the small community where life is good, life is a lot calmer. I spent a lot of time in Washington, D.C., trust me. Urban environments have their own kind of excitement and their own kind of folklore, if you will, their own kind of dynamism. But there is something dignified and beautiful about a community like Columbus, which may be a little quieter, but nonetheless has a steep sense of community, which makes it a wonderful place to live and work and to raise a family. And the congressman agreed NAFTA is a big concern for agriculture. Well, ag is uh, production ag, and the, the aggregate amount of commodities that we make as a country is really one of the last things we make in mass, and it's contributed to offsetting our really grotesque trade imbalances with other countries. Trade imbalances are economic dislocations. Over time, they should balance out, but they haven't for America. This is what has caused such difficulty in pursuing new types of trade agreements. It's also caused difficulty here at home because trade has been so beneficial to agriculture, yet at the same time, we're good Americans here, too. We want the best possible deal we can get for our country. And another concern being brought up during the town hall meeting was H-2A and also migrant workers. He praised the city of Columbus for what they've done. Well, one of the uh, extraordinary gifts of the Columbus community, frankly, has been a manufacturing base that create, continues to create opportunities, uh, substantive opportunities, not only for young people, but for others as well. I was very heartened by the Chamber's effort, for instance, to go, I believe, all the way to Michigan and try to recruit families who were losing jobs there a number of years ago. It's a struggle. Um, immigration policy ha is complicated as well, but there are four components to it that have to be all worked at once. Border security, interior enforcement, what I call humanitarian exceptions, and then finally foreign policy considerations. When you work those in tandem, you can recreate the conditions for a just and orderly immigration system for those who have a, a real reason, a responsible reason to be here and at the same time are not rewarding illegal behavior 
and at the same time creating the conditions potentially for humanitarian exceptions for those who have no recourse to go back anywhere else. It is illegal to come into this country illegally. It is illegal to hire someone here illegally. We have to remind ourselves of that and successive administrations over the last 25 years have not created a robust interior enforcement of laws, which is changing now, which helps reset immigration policy and gets us back to some normalization where guest workers and others who can come and go for a temporary period of time, uh, but nonetheless are supervised, actually becomes a viable program when labor markets demand it. That is part of my conversation with U.S. Congressman Jeff Fortenberry holding town hall meetings yesterday in Columbus and Norfolk. He will continue to meet with constituents through the month of August as they are on recess out of D.C. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Get our closing livestock futures report with Joe Teal of Great Plains Commodities. Joe, let's just kind of hammer out what we talked about uh, from earlier on in the day, looking like just a, a mixed cattle trade. Hogs were lower, trying to mount a comeback. Hogs were trying to, and they they ended up mixed. Um, the cattle did make a nice little comeback, and uh, you know they, but they were higher. I would say uh, the majority of the day, anyway. But they did close higher, but nothing, uh, nothing spectacular. Uh, still uh, going on the same uh, uh, premise. Uh, we are discount, and we're trying to close the gap. But it's getting, uh, we're getting pretty close now. Uh, cattle uh, really haven't heard of any major trades taking place so far yet, uh, and what has traded has been steady to maybe even just slightly lower than last week. So uh, with the with this week's rally, we've uh, really narrowed the gap with the August the nearby August contract, and uh, that uh, I think is the the leading thing. The uh, cutouts were just marginally higher today uh, uh, on a very light test, and the feeders kind of following suit with uh, the grains a little bit lower. Uh, that helped uh, keep them uh, uh, higher all day long. Uh, now the hogs, uh, the cutouts were lower at noon, which kind of uh, helped keep the uh, hogs from any uh, serious rally. Cash seems to be steady to lower, and uh, the index continues to come down. But uh, the uh, it, it managed to finish mixed out of the hogs. Joe Teal of Great Plains Commodities. If you'd like to talk livestock with Joe, give him a call, 800-328-0134. This is the Rural Radio Network. Taking place this week, Congressman Adrian Smith is participating in Farm Bill listening sessions. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Jesse Harding. With me is Nebraska Director of Agriculture, Greg Ibaugh, who is also attending. Greg, why don't you tell us a little about the importance of attending some of these meetings? We're very early in the discussion surrounding the next Farm Bill. But I think that's an advantage that Congressman Smith is setting the stage for Nebraska to be able to get ahead of the game, to be able to start thinking about how we frame our wants and needs in the new Farm Bill. It gives our producers a chance to talk to our state organizations and then turn work on the national level to be able to influence the discussion in Washington, D.C. 
Why is it important for you to participate in some of these discussions? Well, for me, it's valuable to hear directly right alongside the congressman what producers are seeing as concerns, what they see as challenges with the current farm bill and what they might want out of a new farm bill. You know, because I do interact with the National Association of State Departments of Agriculture's in farm bill discussions. I uh, interact with other members of the delegation. And, you know, the governor also wants to be able to understand what producers want in farm programs. And so for me, it's just a great benefit to be able to uh, have the opportunity to join him. What are some of those things that we are hearing from Nebraskans that are concerns of theirs? Row crop producers have heard that there may be challenges to crop insurance. And you know, in the last farm bill, we strengthened crop insurance and the options in crop insurance. Producers and commodity groups did that in exchange for ad hoc disaster programs. So we basically eliminated ad hoc disaster programs, and we count on crop insurance. And so I think we need to remind Congress that that's a deal we made with them, that crop insurance replaced our need for ad hoc disaster, because that can be more costly than the crop insurance programs in, in certain years. And then I think the other thing that we're hearing uh, more in some of our grazing lands is the need for conservation programs to work on working lands and not be set asides or you know, discontinue their use for agriculture to make them conservation refuges or something like that. And so figure out how we have conservation programs that allow us to farm or ranch right alongside those programs. Trade has been an extremely important topic this year. How do you think that might factor into the discussions when it comes to Farm Bill and some of the programs that producers use? As I interact with some of the top level Trump advisors and people at USDA that have been uh, put in place like Secretary Perdue, I think there's a real realization by the Trump administration that ag trade is a surplus trade area. It's an area that if we want to narrow the overall trade deficit, we augment agriculture. And so I'm very hopeful for what this administration sees as trying to build opportunities for agricultural trade. I think Congress plays a role there as well in having programs within the Farm Bill, like the Foreign Market Development Program, the Market Access Program, that producers have taken federal money, leveraged it with their checkoff monies. And in some studies, it suggests that we had a 28 to 1 return on those invested federal dollars. So I think that we need to continue to advocate for some of those programs that we've proved have worked to increase trade opportunities. We've been talking with the Nebraska Department of Agriculture Director Greg Ibot for the Rural Radio Network. I'm Jesse Harding. Here's our closing grain market analysis with John Payne, Senior Market Analyst, Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago, and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. So, John, uh, on the close, I guess the positive to take away, bouncing uh, off our lows a little bit on the beans. Yeah, the, the you know, I guess we had a, say you have a good close. That 960 level, that was the high we kind of fought with all spring, if you recall, before falling down towards 9 and then eventually making our way back up on this recent rally. So it kind of makes sense to think, uh, you know, recent uh, resistance would now become support, and I think that's what we're seeing here. I think we'll probably bounce from here into the weekend. There's a lot of talk about this China story developing, and there might be some retaliations with uh, some sort of IP infringement that's that's taken place. I'm not too up on the WTO, but from what it sounds like, this is going to 
take years to figure out, and I don't think China's going to react instantly given the demand they have. So I think it's just fun liquidation, really, and this is the time of the year for it. August tends to be a very weak month. Um, but it is a bottoming month. If you look back at 2015 and 2016, uh, we printed lows for the rest of the year in this month on December contracts. So while I'm not hopeful we get a bounce tomorrow, and I think maybe we have a little more to go in corn, uh, I think longer term here, we're, we're setting some lows that should hold for a while. So the harvest results sometimes when we get the combines rolling, yields aren't exactly there. Is that why we might get a little bump at harvest? I, th- I think that has a lot to do with it. I really think more, though, at the end of this, this September delivery period represents a kind of a confluence of events. And when, in tight years, you can tend to see the market rally. Like in 2013, 2014, we didn't see that type of price action because there wasn't the, the amount of old crop around. But this year, we have this old crop supply combined with a very, very good crop that's coming out of the south. Now, obviously, it dwarfs what we do nationwide, but you have a market that's essentially saturated with product both on the wheat side and on the corn side. And you have this new corn that's going to be coming off the combine in Alabama, uh, you know, Mississippi, Tennessee, uh, Texas. All those folks who will harvest early, they'll bring those, that market, uh, you know, by September delivery. And I think that's why we tend to see this market bottom. So uh, if you look at where we've been last year, August 31st was the low. I think it was the 28th the year before. So I, I think, like I said, the next month probably is going to be soft, whether it be, uh, you know, board price or the basis. But I think longer term here, there is uh, some upside. So don't get too myopic. I think there's a lot of reasons to reown if you want to sell it. I mean, if you're a producer who is just, you know, don't want to deal with the, the actual physical bushels of storing it, but this is just not your price. I'd highly recommend looking at a reown strategy. John Payne with Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago. Remember, there is risk in trading futures and options. If you'd like more information on a marketing plan, you can contact Daniel's at danielsagmarketing.com and find John Payne's contact information. That's our closing grain market analysis here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Joe Gangwish.